Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with author Ryan Groudon. Her first book, All That Glows, was published earlier this year, and this fall she's releasing her second YA novel, The Walled City. It's being published in November by Little Brown, which is sponsoring this podcast. The Walled City is set in Haknam, a city virtually closed off from the outside world. One of Groudon's main characters describes it as thieves, horrors, murderers, addicts, all mashed into six and a half acres, a place so ruthless even the sun won't enter. For those inside the Walled City, it's a daily fight for survival. Dai Sheng is desperately trying to escape the city. Jin Ling has disguised herself as a boy as she seeks out the sister who was stolen from her. And Mei Yi has been forced into working in a brothel and also dreams of escape. Uh, thank you for speaking with me, Ryan. Yes, thank you so much for having me. So I feel like the, the novel may sound to some like uh, post-apocalyptic fiction, but you're actually drawing from uh, a real-life place in the book. Uh, can you talk about how and when you originally learned about uh, the Kowloon Walled City in Hong Kong? Sure. So I first heard um, about the Kowloon Walled City in October of 2011 when I went to a conference and I met a woman named Jackie Pullinger who she had actually lived and worked in the Walled City um, since the 1960s. And she started talking about the work that she'd done in this place. Um, and she started describing it. And I had never, I had never heard of uh, a place like this before. It was actually a neighborhood in Hong Kong where the the law couldn't go because of um, there were conflicts between the British police and, and the Chinese government, and so no one really claimed the land. So anyone who wanted to do anything illegal would move into this city. So it was six and a half acres. Um, there were, at the height of um, its population, people estimated there were more than 33,000 people um, living in the area, so it was the most densely populated place in the world. Um, and you had a, a really huge cast of um, characters and just different types of people who lived there. Um, there were dentists who were licensed to practice in China, but they couldn't practice in Hong Kong. So they would move to the city um, and they would do illegal dentistry. Um, hmm. And so they would um, set up their, their shops. Um, along the way, you had noodle makers who kind of wanted to escape the restrictions of, you know, different food laws and taxations. So they would go, um, you had a lot of different factories like that. You had steel mills, um, and you know, all sorts of people, but then you had, um, like the, the chat, the triad, um, which is the Chinese mafia also like had a huge presence in the city. Um, and so there was a lot of, um, opium dens and drug running and brothels um, and a lot of the darker side of humanity. Um, so, yeah, Jackie Pullinger had worked there for over two decades um, and she was just talking about this place and I couldn't believe that it had actually existed. Um, so it really compelled me to research more about it. Mm. And uh, did you know pretty soon after that point with that conference that you wanted to build a story around the city or a similar city? Yeah, it's actually while I was sitting there listening to her, um, I, you know, my imagination kind of started racing as it tends to do. I started thinking about all of the people who lived in the city and what their lives, you know, must have been like. Um, and it was 
you know, the first character who um, actually really came to me was uh, Jin Lang, who in the book, she is a uh, girl who disguises herself as a boy and she lives on the streets. Um, and so I was just kind of imagining what life would be like as, you know, a homeless kid. And um, it was really with her, me imagining what her life would be like that the other characters kind of also started popping into my head and just imagining that. Hmm. And now, do you think of this book as historical fiction or is your city far enough removed from Kowloon that it's, it's something else to you? You know, I started, um, I had never, I had never intended for it uh, originally to be historical fiction. Um, and I had actually, I started uh, in the very, very first rough draft of the story, I started taking it in a more fantastical direction. Um, but as I started writing more, um, I found that the reality is so, um, the reality of the place was so interesting and it drew me in so much um, that I wanted to actually keep it as close as, as I possibly could um, to the historical um, to the historical place. And so my editor, Alvina, and I really decided um, when we were going through to try and make it as historically accurate as possible, but also to set it we changed the names very intentionally um, so that first-time readers who might not be familiar with the walled city um, could imagine it as a completely fictional place. But then when they get to the end of the book and they realize in the author's note that it actually existed, that there would kind of be this jolt of uh, you know disbelief. But then really we wanted to compel people to to learn about the real place when they got to the end and realized that it existed. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope we're not spoiling that jolt too much here. But uh, <laughs> um, So, you know, as a result, it, you know, since you were building your own city, was it still uh, the case that a lot of research into this exact city ended up playing a role for you as you sort of, uh, as the story came together for you? Yeah, I did um, research. Actually, the very first thing I did when I got back from that conference um, that I was talking about was I started uh, watching documentaries on YouTube and there were actually, um, they were either German or Swiss, but there was a documentary team who, uh, who went in while the, the city was still standing. Um, and you can find, if you look it up on YouTube, you can find it's divided into four different parts, but you, it, they kind of just take you through the city and they show you all of the different shops and just the different levels and how dark it was. And you can follow them like they followed the mailman when he was like delivering mail. And um, it, that I, I drew a lot of details um, from that documentary. Um, but I also did a lot of reading um, as well. I read um, Jackie Pullinger actually wrote uh, a nonfiction book about her experiences there in the city. And so I, you know, read a lot about that. And then, um, you know, just did a lot of, uh, of research with the internet and, and other things. Mm-hmm. I believe you've said that you that travel certainly informs your writing a lot of times. And I think you mm-hmm. traveled to Asia. Um, were you able to go to the site of Kowloon and is there anything left to see? Yeah, actually this past January, my husband and I, um, we have some friends who teach at an international school near Hong Kong. Um, so we were able to go stay with them. Um, and we went and visited. Uh, there's actually a park now that the government, um, when they tore, they tore it down in 93 or 94. 
Um, and they actually built this really, really nice park there that has um, a whole bunch of gazebos and fountains and waterfalls and monuments. And uh, there's actually a museum in the very center of uh, of the park uh, where the Yamen is, which was the big central building where everyone would go to do community activities. Um, so there's actually, that's the only original structure that's still standing um, that they didn't tear down, but it's there as a museum now. And you can go and learn about the place and also see uh, there's ruins of the old South Gate and there's cannons, um, which both kind of make an uh, appearance in the novel. And so it was really cool for me to to go and see these places that I had written about in real life. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, getting back to the, the book a little bit, uh, you mentioned mm-hmm. that uh, the character of Jin was sort of a starting point for you in some ways. Um, yeah. How did the, the structure, did it take shape uh, somewhat early on in terms of then realizing there were going to be three characters that you were going to want to shift between? Yeah. Um, well, I started with Jin, um, and I actually started her story. When I started writing it, I started her story like the very night that she found out her sister was taken and then following her all the way to the city. Um, but then I soon realized that that's not really where the immediate story needed to start. Um, so I, I wrote that section and then I realized that I need, I needed to, to see things from Mei, the sister's point of view, um, because she's the one trapped in the brothel and we don't really know, um, from Jin, from Jin's point of view, she has no idea where her sister is. And so I thought it would be good for readers to kind of like go back between and just have the tension of knowing that Mei is right there and that Jin Ling's right there, but she doesn't know. Um, so I was trying to build up that tension. But, um, and as I, I was writing back and forth between the sisters, uh, this character, Dai, Dai Xing, he, he keeps popping up because he's kind of the go-between for uh, Jin Ling and the drug lords. And she's doing her drug runs to search for her sister. Um, so Dai kept popping up and... I, I probably wrote hmm, I wrote about two thirds of the story before I realized that Dai was the third character um, and that he had a deeper he had a deeper past story that would really tie everything together. Um, so Dai was the last voice I kind of added. Um, so I had to go back and add everything um, from his point of view, and then that's when the story really started clicking um, and just kind of coming together really perfectly. Okay. And, uh, you know, I was curious, did you ever at any point in the process have any trepidation about writing uh, cross-culturally, even though you were sort of, you know, building your own world here in some ways as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, (laughs) to write outside of any experience that you have is always incredibly nerve-wracking. But to, you know, to write about a culture... Um, that is so different from mine. Like I grew up in the South, so, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, to be, to be writing about, um, you know, people, youth who live in Hong Kong, uh, it's completely different and jarring. Um, but I definitely, um, one of my main uh, passions and inspirations in my writing is traveling. Um, and my husband and I actually, we were able uh just after we first got married, we were able to um, go and teach English in South Korea for a year overseas. And, uh, you know, Korean culture and Chinese culture are, you know, there's, they're very different. Um, there's marked differences between them. But I think that um, having lived in Asia for a while gave me the courage um, I, that I needed to start exploring um, 
Chinese culture and life in Hong Kong and to to realize that, you know, I, I if I researched it carefully enough that I could convey um, the story that I needed to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd love to talk a little bit about just your, your path to becoming a writer in general. Um, was this something mm-hmm. that you have known you'd wanted to do for quite a while or something you came to later? Um, I, I've always known um, in one sense or another that writing was what I needed to do. Um, I have I have a whole box. Actually, I've kept everything that I've written over the years, but the earliest uh, the earliest piece of writing I have was from when I was about six or seven years old, um, and my dad had given me his old uh, tax ledger, and I used it to write and illustrate a story, and it's called The Adventures of White Wolf. Um, so, yeah, and from there, like, I always wrote fan fiction and stuff when I was younger, um, but I did go to uh, an art school for high school and majored in creative writing, um, and I also majored in creative writing in college and pursued it pretty fiercely after that, would get up and write every day before work after I graduated and um, was fortunate enough to, to be able to move into it full time about a year and a half ago. Okay. And um, what about as far as writing YA? How did you come to that specifically? Was that something that had been on your radar or somewhere that you found yourself maybe? Yeah. Oh, well, again, I, I think writing YA was something I always knew I wanted to do um, because, I mean, YA is what I grew up reading. I grew up on Harry Potter, um, you know, grew up on Redwall, the Redwall series by Brian Jakes. Um, and it was really actually after reading Ella Enchanted uh, by Gail Carson Levine that I really started seriously. <laughs> I love that book so much that when I finished, I was like, there has to be a sequel. Um, there wasn't a sequel. And so I was like, I can write my own story. So I started, I, I basically started writing a terrible fan fiction of Ella Enchanted. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, it was never really a question um, for me. I actually, when um, when I went to both high school and uh, college for creative writing, my teachers were very much um, in the mindset they didn't want me to write genre fiction. Um, and at the time, I was really, you know, I was very disappointed and didn't like that rule. Um, but, you know, looking back, I really appreciated the fact that um, – you know, they made me write short stories and, uh, you know, the drier literary things like Raymond Carver imitations. Um, and I think that was really good for me because it helped me focus on um, story structure and writing as an art. And then after school to be able to go back to the YA genre that I loved so much and to be able to combine um, you know, all of like the classical techniques that I had learned in my classes, as well as with like the the thrilling storytelling um, that is so common in YA to just uh, to be able to work those together, I think, um, was just really special for me. Hmm. And do you see yourself writing for other audiences, either younger or older? Mm-hmm. Or do you, do you see this as sort of your sweet spot for the time being? Um, I, you know, I love YA. I, I, I can't see myself ever not writing YA, but that is just, you know, that's not to say that I won't try to write other stuff. I actually... Um, have a middle grade idea that I'm kind of toying around with right now. Um, so, you, yeah, I, okay. I, I could safely say that I would stay in YA, but branch out to other things as well. 
Mm-hmm. And what about in types of, uh, in terms of types of story and genre? Uh, you know, all that glows. Uh, your, your last book, I think it's mm-hmm. safe to call it a fantasy, set, yeah. a fantasy setting. And this one, you know, again, kind of drawn from real life with these thriller type elements. Um, do you see yourself continuing to branch out? Are there other genres that are of interest to you? Yeah, I um, actually, you know, if you had asked me before I started writing The Walled City, like, is there any genre I, that you would stick with? I would have said fantasy or, you know, anything paranormal. Um, and The Walled City actually really took me by surprise because I never would have considered writing a thriller um, or anything like that. Uh, and it just, the story just kind of took me away. Um, or You know, the story just swept me away. And yeah, so I think that I, I, I would never say I wouldn't try something now because I, I really just want to go where the stories take me. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's scary because I, I sometimes it's taking me into places that I have no idea what's going on. Um, but I think it is, in the end, it's pretty rewarding. So I do have um, a sci-fi idea that I'm kind of playing around with um, as well as, you know, some alternate history stories and stuff like that. So I don't really want to confine myself to just one genre. Mm-hmm. And now you're basically releasing three novels within a year's time, I think, since the mm-hmm. uh, the sequel to All That Glows is due next February. Yes. Um, is this a pace you plan to keep up or just sort of happen this way? Uh, I, I think I would probably drop over dead if I tried to keep on this pace. Um, yeah, no, it, it was a purely, purely coincidence that it, it happened that way. Um, I actually sold All That Glows in August of 2011. Um, so I, you know, after I sold that, while I was waiting to work on revisions was when I uh, pretty much I pounded out The Walled City then. And it just kind of happened that I sold The Walled City um, and they, they published it, or the wait time between sale to shelf for The Walled City was a lot shorter. Um, so it managed to fall between All That Glows and its sequel. Um, so it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of uh, pressure for one year. But yeah, I would like to keep, I would like to keep my pace at a healthy one book every year or year and a half. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think I'd read this, but just to make sure, the, the new book, uh, The Walled City, is a standalone story? Yes. Okay, yep. very good. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations again on the new book, and thank, thank you for you. speaking with me. Thank you so much. Once again, I've been speaking with Ryan Grodden, whose new book, The Walled City, is out in November from Little Brown. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. <laughs>